Welcome to Toffee Blue View, your source for all things Everton. I'm Jerry, Max and Terry are here, and for those of you watching with your eyes, I'm out of note cards. I'm out of them. No more. So when I throw these, it's just sad. Uh, so, not the worst weekend. Not the worst weekend, alright? Uh, halfway decent results in London, and... Uh, and then, you know, they who must not be named came in second place. They got the scored a lot of points trophy. So, you know, well done. Uh, yeah, so that, that draw at Goodison ended up being kind of okay for us and not so okay for them. I'm super fine with that. And Michael Keane, Michael Keane sliding in. Yes. Jordan, okay. Jordan Pickford. Jordan Pickford for as me. well? For me. That, that, was, that was a, you know... I think that was more of a goal-scoring opportunity. Oh, man. You know, I, that's like saying, which type of chocolate do you like better? They are both delicious. <laughs> they are, it, they are it, tasty. It's just sweet, isn't it, given the fact that December 1st, when he, you know, when he cocked up at Anfield, they celebrated as if they'd already won the league. And, yeah. you know, turns out 1v1v Salah, Pickford comes out on top, and oops, you don't get the three points. That's right. And you know what? Uh, nobody was measuring his arms at that point. Uh-huh. Crazy. You know? Uh, I remember 2012, the New England Patriots are probably the team I like the least in American football. Just don't like them. And they kept on winning games. And people were like, oh, gosh, I hope they don't win all their games because then we'll never hear the end of it. And I said, no, I hope they win all their games and lose in the Super Bowl because then they will, it, will, it will be a, a farther fall down and it will hurt more. And that is exactly what has just happened. And I'm so fine with that. <laughs> all right? Same situation. All right? I, yeah. All right? And, uh, you know, City always will have a little little place. little place. You know what helped watching the City celebrations? Having watched All or Nothing. You know, with my kids, who are sitting there pointing out Vincent Company's kids, and that's just friggin' cool. Mm. All right? <laughs> But anyway, uh, so Terry, you were, I believe you were, uh, if you know Terry, you know that Terry is like the emperor of GIF, so he's got a GIF for everything, uh, and I think he rolled out all of them <laughs> Sunday. Uh, Terry, also breathing breathing sigh of relief, sir? Yeah, uh, major sigh of relief. But there, there was an 80-second period where um, City were losing and Liverpool winning and it was like seeing a doorway into hell like a trap door and then for 80 seconds you were like I was like being held over it and then after 80 seconds someone had pulled me away and shut the door and I'm just just glad to not be there today people were like rubbing Terry's shoulders and Terry was like mumbling I can still see it when I shut my eyes Uh. (laughs) pretty much I I was watching him I watched the Liverpool game live. Unfortunately, couldn't get a stream for the Everton game, and I was at my uh, my parents' house, and they were watching the Liverpool. So I thought I was in for a rough time when it looked like there was about to be a party atmosphere in Anfield, led by one Jamie Carragher on commentary. It was a much more pleasant viewing to see Man City lift the cup than it was to see uh, Liverpool. 
yeah, they uh, uh, American Feed, NBC Sports. Uh, what they had done for the final day of games is they put every game on different different networks, right? Which is why Everton Spurs was on Sci-Fi Channel. So normally you check in there, you can see Twilight Zone, or you can see Croczilla versus Octagon. I don't know, just something insane. And and then instead you flip it over there, and there's there's Everton Spurs, and like the last place you will look. All right, <laughs> uh, they and they they had pregame on NBC Sports and on NBC Max. That's why when yeah. you flipped it over there, it was Twilight Zone, and you were worried it was like some severe <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what made it worse is the fact that they had two common common feeds so dumb. running at the same time when they actually got the game on, so I couldn't even listen to it. It was giving me too much of a headache, but. It was wow. like it's it was bizarre hearing two different people commenting on talking about the Everton game as at the same time. It was yeah, it was really awful and I'm like this is a professional broadcast. You know what I mean? This is I like know. yeah, it's awful. I got I got angry, but you know, whatever. In the first half it, you couldn't have done much more to make it worse though. True, very true. Anyway, we'll talk more about that later. We have a match reaction coming for those of you uh, who are who are listening? Uh, and addition, in addition to our match reaction, we've also got an end of season awards. Uh, Toffee Blues people voted, and not just us, but the people who follow the account. They all voted on different end of season awards, and these are not like goofy awards. These are the kind of things that you know I feel like the club would normally award as well. Um, so it's not like you know best beard. Although we know who would win that. Alright? That would that's not even a contest. Just give him give him the trophy already. Andre, sign the papers. And later on, Max is probably gonna have to leave us, so instead of doing a quiz today, we Terry and I are gonna talk about our uh, greatest TV shows. We're gonna pretend like we've met someone who just doesn't believe in TV, doesn't watch it, whatever. And we're going to be making off-the-cuff arguments for our ones that we feel like are, are the greatest. All right? So, obviously, uh, we'll be talking about Becker and Dharma and Greg. Um, <laughs> ooh, no, no, no. Uh, so, and if you know anything, if, if you've heard me talk or Terry talk ever, you could probably guess some of these. But uh, anyway, so stay tuned for that. Let's get the match reaction on the road. Uh, so let's just say first half was shit. Can we just yeah. get that out of the way now? Mm-hmm. Done with it. All right? Yeah. Uh, we do need to mention uh, goals on set pieces. Uh, first one, because Yeri Mina went up for a header and then fell on top of the ball, <laughs> mm. allowing Dyer to have a, a, a shot on goal that even Eric Dyer couldn't miss. All right. <laughs> if it's one that I could make, I'm pretty certain Dyer's got it got it covered. Uh, so uh, how? So the rest, of the, the whole first half was pretty flat. Um, Max, what was your turning point of the match? Because it did change. You know what I mean? Like the t- the tide didn't tur- did turn. I suppose it's got to be the changes, hasn't it? Really, compliment to Marco Silva. Um, Obviously, the most the most influential of them being Adam Ola Luckman. I think within minutes of him coming on, he kind of you, you know he's looked at, picked his head up, drove the ball forward. Um, 
fed the ball to Sigurdsson, Sigurdsson picked out Walcott and Walcott's, you know, put us level. But, I don't know, it was, um, we, I just thought, as if, as for the first half, what we made three changes, if I'm not correct, and then Tottenham made five from, from their, their, mm-hmm. their fantastic game in Amsterdam. So, yeah, as you said earlier, Jerry, it did seem like a very last game of the season type, you know, flip-flops and party atmosphere. Um, but, Got to, I've got to be honest, I've missed going the away this season after seeing some of the videos that were coming out from the, uh, the Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> Stadium from Ireland. As soon as he heard the, uh, the Mikel Arteta song get whipped out, I was just absolutely devastated that it didn't go. Um, <laughs> I was also thinking as well, hey, how, how far up the haircut league would we be if we had Andre Gomez and Mikel Arteta working together in the same central midfield partnership? Oh. That would just be absolutely sensational. I know, I think we'd actually win it though. Um, to be fair, yeah, to the the rest of the game, we looked, we got back in the second half because we you know we made a few awkward changes. I wasn't particularly a fan of Kurt Zuma at right back. Um, I just think thought it made the old defence look a bit awkward. But um, obviously, kind of looked to find half he can compete a bit more with Tottenham, who were like a daisical at times, and you know rightly so they've reached the first ever Champions League final. But um, yeah, got back into it, made those changes. So for me, that was the uh, that was the changing point. Yeah. Uh... I was sitting there just, number one, biting a hole through my lip because I was keeping an eye on my phone and the scores. So, you know, that's, that was not good. And, and additionally, watching us just put out this really uninspired performance, uh, really sloppy, a lot of misplayed passes. Uh, but, but, Max, you mentioned something that I wanted to, you know, uh, you know be fair to the guys. We did have those changes, and when you bring in changes like that, it's going to bring some some uh, some weirdness, you know what I mean? Some lack of chemistry. Players that yeah. don't normally like Zuma at right back. I thought the right side just looked totally disjointed. You have Walcott yeah. in there who has Walcott not been starting not a, lately. Not a, not a usual starter. Yeah. Yeah. So that whole right side, Zuma really, you know, although he's 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 not a slow guy, he has some speed. I don't deem him necessarily a quick guy. And typically you want quick little players being able to zip up the sideline and make those crosses back in his service, Miss May. Yeah, you know? the, the injuries to, to Coleman, Walcott, Calvert-Lewin, you know, they were obviously sprung up on us yeah. you know, quite soon. And to be fair, long, it's long been a long season, so to, to, to sort of be expected towards the end of the season. So, mm-hmm. um, But yeah, they, and I think, as I mentioned earlier, if you look at the reverse, actually, Goodison, that's 6-2. With the exception of the, the derby in Anfield, that six two was the you know the lowest point of the season for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get people putting out the shouts like you know play Ellis Sims or play some of the kids that have won the uh, won the uh, under twenty threes league, I can understand from Marco Silva's perspective. You know you don't want another tonking on your record against Spurs mm-hmm. and you know not be playing on his mind. So I think you know he tried to he tried to deputise and not lose as as much quality and you know. Tosin and uh, and Walcott getting on the score sheet it paid mm-hmm. dividends. Yeah, well, uh, barely. When I say Tosin getting on the score sheet, I mean barely. That was probably the worst goal I've seen or scored all season. That to be fair, mm-hmm. but they all count. <laughs> it does. It does. I was I was happy he got a goal though. You know what I mean? After this season going the way it has for him, you know, good for him. So uh, Terry, let's move to you. Um, we were talking about the turning point of the match. If you agree with that, what Max said, then let's just move on to another talking point. Do you have any particular talking points, you know, talking about any players that you felt like uh, excelled a little bit more than usual or somebody you thought was a man of the match or somebody you thought just flat out was was turd? 
<laughs> Wherever you want to go with those, basically. No, not not really. I mean, I just was thinking about the point um, on Zoom and it right back. I, I did think when I saw that, like, oh, that's not... It's not going to be good reading if you're John Joe Kenny, you know, like the first choice right backs out, and you know they they shift they're shifting a centre back across to to compensate rather than play you. But the when I think about it, I think if Richarlison's fit for that game, I think Kenny starts. I think that the idea of playing um, Kenny with Walcott in front of him leaves Kenny too too exposed, because uh, it's happened earlier in the season when Kenny's played right back, he's, he's always had Walcott in front of him. Walcott isn't the greatest. A covering defensively, is he? You know, let's be honest. So I think it might, yeah. it may have just been more of a, a precaution. Like, well, we're going to put Zuma at right back since we're going to have to play Walcott at right wing because Walcott won't screen his full back. But Zuma is obviously going to be a much more competent and robust defender, mm-hmm. especially in one-on-one scenarios than John Joe Kenny is because John Joe Kenny has struggled in a lot of one-on-ones this season. And I thought that maybe Spurs could have played on him if he'd have started. So. I have. I was. Well, it's probably not as bad as all that. Is lack of selection, but other than that, no. It was a very um, flat sort of nothing game. It was you know a dead dead rubber. We're all going to finish where we're going to finish. They've got a massive game coming up, even though it's three weeks away. They don't want to be you know extending themselves, and we're missing a lot of players as well. So we can't put our best foot forwards and we're missing key players as well our whole right hand side so I think everyone was happy to take a point apiece you know no injuries come off and our season's finished and they've got one more game so it's another um, it's another decent result at a top six team as well I'm glad to be making them more regular because we need to start building on that and making that a regular consistent thing we need, you know the next step is to win a, is to win these games away yeah. from home but um you know, it will hopefully come with time, but it's a good start because there's the time where you look at this run of top six fixtures we've had and you were thinking, where are we going to get the points there? But um, yeah, it turns a bit of a corner this season, hopefully, when it comes to that. Yeah, really, I was really pleased that we didn't just fade away and continue in the same form that we had in the first half. I was worried that was what was going to be the whole game. I got to be honest. I thought that we already we were already on the beach in our brains, you know, already had the flip-flops on, you know, that's, I was very worried about that. And when we came out second half, uh, and the changes came out uh, just after the half, uh, Silva brought in Lookman and, uh, and Gomez. Yeah, it was, it was as though it had been an injection, just a straight up injection of energy. Um, and it looked like people kind of knew where, the, where everybody was going to be then. You know, it almost felt like that chemistry came back. Um, there was a lot. Our passes were more on point. We weren't giving up possession as easily. Uh, mm. it, was, it was nice. Um, so are we, are we disappointed in their goals? I was disappointed in the first goal because it reminded me of early in the season. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of those off... You know, corner and their and their second goal was a was a great shot for the corner. Did we have who was on the edge between the ball and the goal? Did it look like somebody went down and like bent down? Who was that? For for Ericsson's free kick. Yeah. I think it's a Spurs player in the yeah. wall. We've got like yeah, four there was a, there was, a, there was a four man, the four man wall and the Spurs player just on the ends. I, I, Pickford 
just let it let Iado so go on his post and he obviously get beat, was beaten by his side but I've got to say I think out of all the goals I've seen scored against Everton this season Christian Eriksen scored two of the best oh yeah like that, that, yeah. goal, that goal at Goodison too and that free kick now, you know, see at first player. I thought that was one of our players that went like that and I was just mm. I was livid <laughs> I was like, "Why are you there, then, man?" You know, but, but if it was if it was one of theirs, then I my my ire subsides. <laughs> yeah, there's there's four four Everton players, a Spurs player, then another two Everton players, mm. and it's right in that gap. That's why he's yeah, exactly. He's sort of like leaning into the player on his side as well to stop him from jumping into the into the space that he's leaving. So he sort of not only ducks, he runs towards the player on his on his left, the you know Ericsson's right. To, to open the space, so it's it's a, it's a good move, like it's a good free yes. kick uh, routine. But first goal, I think, I mean, you know, Mina's terrible on it. You know, it's really poor. But you know, he's ring rusty, isn't yeah. he? He hasn't played a lot, and when he has played, he hasn't been consistent. He, what that is, he completely mistimes his jump. He does. Mm. He knows where the ball is. He knows what he's meant to do, but he's jumped too early, so he's completely missed it and come down on top of it, and made himself look a bit foolish. But I think that's really harsh on him. If, if you know, if one of the Play two defenders who've been playing consistently all season did that. You'd be like, "What the hell?" But a player who's you know not played for weeks, you know, more likely to make mistakes like that. His first game back, you know, that's that's why. Like the first half, I was thinking like, out of all the sloppy play and everything, I was trying to be fair, trying my best to be fair, and I do felt like feel like you know we grew into the game as it went. I did feel like we got better, and I felt like second half we looked strong. We look like a strong side. Yeah, uh, you know we have to weather we have to weather the Tottenham storm, mm-hmm. didn't we? Really, you know, first home game back after after making it to a Champions League final. It was it was there was another bit of a, a bit of a party atmosphere. Well, it seemed like for me for me the other end of my stream going on at the at their ground. Yeah. Um, but we were kind of we were kind of adding yeah. to that, so <laughs> I don't think it was too much of a just disadvantage to it. Yeah, if anybody saw those videos that got posted uh, from Toffee Blue's account, I believe those are all Edwards when he was there. He took those mm. videos and posted and I think it's actually being passed around to a lot of different social media accounts. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty good stuff. Edward, way, way to go getting those recorded, man. Um, so uh, just a few things. Uh, Tosin, how do we feel like Tosin played? It's his first game back. All got right. a goal. <laughs> it should be yeah. quotation marks, you know what I mean? Because it's ish. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. Got more Calvert Lewin, but he just hasn't got the physical tools, as he? he's just not fast enough, or doesn't doesn't like you know pressure the opposition as much. But when you know if there's a chance, loose in the box, I trust Tosin more than I trust any of the other strikers. He's got the brain that he wants, just not the body. Mm. Yeah. Didn't win as much in the air. Uh, held up, you know, when the ball came to his feet, he held up okay. His combination play was so-so. It took him a while to get into the game. It did. His touch at first was awful. I saw one just bounce like five yards off him, and I thought we had Lukaku again. It was weird. Uh, but, it was, <laughs> but, you know, I did think he grew into it a bit, but his press compared to Calvert-Lewin's press is night and day because Calvert-Lewin just gets on the opposition in a hurry. It's just so much faster. It, it, yeah, it's down to his physical tools, isn't it, really? I mean, you, you can't doubt the, 
the effort and the the audacity of Tosin. Yeah. Like he he does he does work hard. I just don't think he's got those, those physical elements. It's just in his locker. I like I like his, his like his combination play linking off. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't I don't doubt that. I think that's that's half decent. But as I said earlier, like if, you know, we're going to have to try and get a few players out the door. And that if someone can come in for twenty million, you know, you're not surprised that they're listening to yeah. offers. Because I think it's only like what well, was only a third league goal this season, and when I've looked back on all, all his goals in general, they've all. I mean, to be fair, you know, hats off to him for finally getting a goal against the top six yeah. side. Because I don't think that's his first goal that's come against the top six side. And like, but for um, this season, it's been against Fulham and Crystal Palace, if I'm not wrong. So, yeah, uh, if he, you know, if, he wants, if he's going to stay, and he just needs to start scoring more against bigger position, I think. And he does have mentioning Lukaku. He does have more against the top ten than Lukaku this season. Yeah. yeah, but but then again, yeah. a lot of our center backs do. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, I wanted to make sure we talked about Tosin. Uh, Walcott got a goal. He was uh, he he lost his footing as he was scoring. So it's one of those like uh, both of our goals like it was perfectly placed Walcotts, but both of ours had kind of an oops quality to it. <laughs> Uh, but this one actually involved some decent combination play, um, so that was okay. But uh, how do we feel like Walcott did, and are we still thinking? Uh, I mean, it, it's a pretty strong chance he stays with us next season. Uh, you guys gonna be okay with that based on uh, what he did during this one? Mm. I mean, I've never thought he's going um, just because Silver clearly mm-hmm. likes him. I think the only the only ones who've got a problem with them are supporters, and, and frankly, they're they're not the important ones when it comes to those decisions. <laughs> it's it's not like you can't if if you know if you gave it you know it was up to Everton supporters the amount of players we get rid of after one bad performance like Yerry Minas every week he's either you know class or he's shite depends you know how he's played. If you haven't figured it but, out, um, everybody, Schneiderlin fanboy, Yerry Mina fanboy, all right. Still working on who I am, and I'm probably like Tom Davies or Benny Bonangamy. All right, <laughs> at least they're at least they're you know man crushes play. So, <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, yeah, you're right though. It's a lot of flip flopping on Mina. Yeah, but what Walcott? I mean, I, as I say, I don't think he. I, did, I never thought he was going to go. I think in a perfect world, he would need to be replaced with someone who has a lot more impact when he plays than he does, but. No, I don't think he's going anywhere, and I'm I'm okay with it. I suppose. I mean, he's on a lot of money for someone who doesn't contribute a lot, but yeah, there's a there's a long list of players you need to get rid of, and he's well down that list. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, you can't be talking about getting rid of Walcott when you've still got Nias and Balassi and players like that. There's much more dead woods to shift before you start considering Walcott, who you know hasn't even though he is he has been poor on the whole this season. He you know he does. He has done something. He, you know, he does come into the team and you know give something. If it's even if it's not value for how much he's getting paid, or as much as other players, or as much as we think other players like Luckman could give, he gives something at least. Whereas there's a lot of players who don't get, who don't even kick a ball forever. Who need to go yeah. before he does. So I think he's probably going to last another season, and then maybe next summer he'll uh, be on the list to go. It just doesn't seem like a priority to get rid of him compared to what else we have on the payroll right now. 
you know, and he can mm-hmm. come in and still provide a goal every once in a while. He did seem pretty damn wasteful there in the first half, though. I will say, giving mm-hmm. the ball away, he had numerous opportunities, and it would be because maybe he didn't, he wasn't ready for the ball when it came across to him. Uh, you know, he couldn't get the footing. Uh, little things like that would happen. So, do I do I feel like he's the perfect starter for us right now? No, but can he still do a job a little bit? Yeah. He can, but if he once he starts getting older, that speed, if it's not there, you know, Walcott is not going to be su- not going to be the most useful player. So maybe he's got one more season with us. Maybe plays well against Tottenham. So fine with that. For his involvement there. <laughs> yeah, he's mm. he's been he's been involved in something. Eight goals in eight goals in the last nine games against Tottenham. Mm. So he's got a good return rate against. That interview that he did talking about how happy he was that City won the league. I was like, okay, Theo, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy next season. We'll see you he in the summer. He seemed very genuine too. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't like just saying yeah. shit to like make supporters happy. It seemed like he meant it. And I was yeah, I'm fine with that, you know? If he's genuine, you can I'll find a place in the heart. Be okay. Uh there's a lot of players we could be talking about, but this the segment will go on too long. Um I just want to spare a thought for Andre Gomez. Is that his last match for us? If so, damn. All right? Because, you know, we, we've all loved Andre. All right? But uh, let's hope we can tie him down. I actually think we are going to get him. I do think we're going to get him. I have way less faith in Zuma, which is a shame because he's been really consistent this season. But that's probably for another. I just want to say, you know, it was good, Andre. Come back. Just saying. All right. Uh, anything else that we feel like we need to go into as far as this match? Um, yeah, it was cool. You know, had a positive feeling, happy feeling at the end of this one. And, uh, and then a bunch of other stuff contributed to a celebration the rest of the day. So yeah, good things. Um, all right, well, that's it for our, uh, Spurs match reaction. That's our last match reaction until we'll probably do one for preseason. That's a thing that, that will come at some point, preseason. But for now, season's over. Uh, we, do, we are going to do an end-of-season end of awards segment. That'll be coming up after this. It's time for end-of-season awards. Uh, it's one of those things that we do after the last game of the season. It's a concept we made up. Yes. So, uh, guys... Hey, Toffee Blues put it out there to social media. We've got uh, four categories. And, uh, yeah, over 1,500 people voted, or there were uh, over 1,500 votes. So unless it was one dude with 1,500 accounts, which I don't put past anybody, all right, uh, a lot of people are involved in in these decisions. So um, what I'm going to do is I am going to... Name a category, and if you guys could name who you feel like deserves it, and then let's consider anybody else who could have possibly gotten it, and then we we divulge who the winner was at that moment. I feel like we should maybe go in reverse order of importance, I think. So end with the player of the season, because usually that's the big thing. So uh, let's start with uh, most improved player. Terry. Uh, most improved player of the season, I guess, is the best way to say it. Who do you feel like deserves it and anybody else we should consider? Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. 
Uh, I think you could also make a strong case for Michael Keane. I think he was the only the only other standout option for the category. But Dominic Calvert Lewin has come on such a long way um, since last mm. season and the season before. He improves every year. Now, that's not to say he's the finished article. There's still some things he needs to do. But last season we were absolutely, you know, desperate for a striker. We couldn't, you know, we, we didn't practically didn't have one in the squad for half the season until we bought Tosin. And then when we brought Tosin after like a, a short settling in period of a couple of weeks, he was the first choice striker straight away. Calvert Lewin was there last season the whole time, and to go from, you know, oh he's just a kid, he works hard, no one will, um, you know, but he's not really, you know, doesn't count as an option for striker to be in the far and away first choice striker. He's gone from rotation player and to first choice, immediate first choice. So Tosin is still at the club and now can't buy minutes unless he's injured, unless say Calvert Lewin is injured. So that shows how far he's come in a such a short amount of time. And even um, after the Man United game, they were actually throwing up stats, um, Sky Sports, sorry, where comparing Lukaku to Calvert Lewin. And Calvert Lewin was beating him in a lot of metrics. And it's like, that's how far he's come in such a short space of time that the striker that we still haven't replaced and, you know, still, you know, struggle badly to replace. The kid who was there the whole time has come on so much that he could now be compared to him in, in every metric, except obviously goals, which is an important metric. But as I say, that that hopefully will come. But I, for me, he's come so far this season. He, he's now the far and away first choice central striker. And I think even if we do bring someone in the summer, I think it's likely that we will. I think he's going to have to wait to get that shirt off him. I think Carver Lewin starts the new season as first choice and it's it's his shirt to lose. Mm-hmm. I would agree that I do think he starts going into the season. Uh, Max, for you, most improved player. To be fair, I 100% agree with, with Calvert-Lewin. Calvert-Lewin was my, my first shout. And to me, like uh, everything that, that, that Terry's just said, you know, he brought in, well, he, well, he was brought in from a minimal fee from Sheffield United to play under 23s football. Like, you know, he wasn't brought in for a price tag of mm-hmm. £50 million. Pounds, you know, weight of expectation on his shoulder. He was just kind of throwing in at the deep end last season because we just failed to replace Lukaku and he was leading leading the line and, you know, very isolated at times. And obviously, you know, that's not, not done his goal return any favours, but in terms of his development this season, for me, if it was to pinpoint the moments, it was the Merseyside derby at Goodison. He came up against Van Dyke. Van Dyke, you know, had him in his pocket, but Calvert-Lewin didn't give up. And I think he, he learned a lot from that performance. And, you know, in, in his games against Chelsea and the games against Arsenal, he just had the bet, the beating of the defence every time, and in 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 you know covering ground and stretching the pitch, he was just absolutely fantastic. So, um, as you've already been said, I'll, I'll put it to one side. Uh, Michael Keane again, another name that you could throw in there, given given his you know just how disjointed the defence was, and you know go back to the first game of the season, Phil Jagiel gets sent off in the first half. For me, he, he steps up and almost becomes a leader there. One of the only players I've known to get a serious head injury in a, in a season and become better when he comes back. Um, uh, who else? Oh, I've got to give him a shout out, Morgan. You know, to to come back the way he has this season. You know, he, a lot of people doubt him. Uh, uh, at times, even last season, it, like the although in his first season at the club, the comment him and Idris Gay in central midfield looked like an absolute dream pair. The, the you know the season after that, it wasn't as pretty, and it, he went down a lot of fans' estimations. But um, come come back now. I think you know he's obviously had a, his, his situations off the pitch. But he's come back now, and you know he, he's been working hard. He's covered, 
in terms of you know the way you describe it, Jerry, it being like that that bit of bread that mops the whole the last bit of the soup and just it's what he does in it. He just appears out of nowhere and robs the ball, and it's just absolutely sensational to watch when he's on form. So he'd be another one that deserves a mention. Totally forgot about Schneiderlin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he has this particular this little patch that he's had coming back. He's been strong, and I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming at all because I thought he was done and not going to be playing much more for us at all. Um, he's done well, and respect to him for, for making a comeback like that. Um, DCL, uh, I think, is fully worthy, uh, especially I think you guys make very compelling arguments. Uh, for me, DCL or Michael Keane are, your, are, are the two you really have a strong argument for. Uh, Schneiderlin, he didn't get to play as much down the stretch, and so that's why I would probably give it to one of the others. Um, but my answer would be Michael Keane, just because I gave him so much shit last year. Oh, my God. You know, <coughs> we talked about him being, like, not emotionally strong, just a little fragile, and he couldn't adapt very well to different systems. And, and I will agree, last year it didn't, it, it didn't seem like he was. And I think he benefited this season from some very specific coaching and some very specific partnerships. Um, and I think Silva is detail-oriented, and I think he thrives in, in moments like that. Um, inconsistency. He just he needs consistency when it comes to training and, and games and all of that. Um, so, yeah, Michael Keane is sort of my guilty pick. I feel, I feel I have a lot of guilt over that because I started off being like Michael Keane's super fan, in the very beginning, I, and then I, I got so disappointed. So, <laughs> so I'm bringing it back. Michael Keane, just, just so you know, uh, yeah, my bad. Big old apology from me. You're, you've been doing well. And actually, that is the, uh, the Toffee Blues uh, most improved player of the year, Michael Keane. Okay? Um, although I think uh, these gentlemen have made a very good case for DCL here. Very good case. Um, so... Goal of the season. Um, let's start with Max this time. Max, what's your goal of the season? I've, I've got a feeling it's going to be everyone else's. Because, and because I prepared for this, I did list a few others. But Sigurdsson's against Leicester. To like to bust the crew and I was in the middle of the pitch and fire the ball into the top corner from about 30 yards. That's the... That's something that's going to get replayed and highlight reels from years to come. It's just one of those moments where you just think, oh, my God. Um, and, you know, it's a trademark of it. It's what, he, what he's known for. And hopefully he can score a few more similar to that for, you know, next season. In terms of other nominations, I, re- I really, really like Dominic Calvert-Lewin's goal against Huddersfield when Adrissa Gay just kind of levelled up in the middle of the pitch, just kind of took it like, Nutmeg one player took a pass, took a pass on his chest, like played in Calvert Loom, like reverse pass to cut to the defence in half. That was just some of the best football I think we played this season. Um, and the game, the the goal that I couldn't stop raving about the other week, Dinia against Man United, that was pretty nice. Right on, Terry. What's your goal of the season and your other nominations? Got to be the Sigurdsson one against uh, Leicester, hasn't it? It's the easiest category to pick this. I mean, 
the, the, the Cruyff turn, he just sends James Madison for a hot dog, doesn't he? And just absolutely unleashes hell from his right foot. He, he's, he's, Sigurdsson would have been in for a shout for me as well as the most improved player because he, he spent last season being just looked uncomfortable all the time, you know, moved about in the team and whatnot. But this season, he's turned into the player that we, you know, that we bought, that we wanted, that we were, thought yeah. we were getting. He, he, you know, he's, you know, he's whipping in long distance strikes and he's, um, you know, scoring from free kicks and whatnot. I mean, in fact, my other nomination, other than the ones Max has mentioned, is um, Sigurdsson's against Man United, where uh, Matic foolishly backs off him, gives him a load of space, and lets him onto his right foot. Uh, it leaves David De Gea with no chance at all. Great strike, great goal, and from the same game, the overhead kick from um, from Richarlison. I mean, they're all they're all great goals. They've all got you know different things about them that are good, like Luca Dean. Um, his free kick against uh, Burnley. Mm. Been loads of good goals this year, but you just can't beat that that one against Leicester. It's just a cut above the the distance, the the movement on the ball, like the fact that you know Schmeichel's got no chance with it. Just a great goal. I could watch it over and over again. Uh, yeah, the the Sigurdsson goal was mine. Uh, you know, uh, I thought about the Richarlison. You know, overhead kick. You know, last last week, that one was huge. Um, <laughs> there we had one like team was one of our my favorite team goals of the year. It came and and this is this shows you how little uh, I prepped for this segment. But there was a team goal we got after a corner. The opposition had a corner. It was at Goodison, where I feel like Idrissa Gay carried the ball forward and gave it got it to Sigurdsson, and they keep going. And I. Who was that against? And I don't even remember who scored. No, no, it's he means the Burnley at home game. Yeah, where yeah, they, there's like there's like little triangles of passes yes. on the move, and Richarlison uh, scores with his left foot at the end. That was right. a great goal. I completely forgot about that one. It was just such good team play. Oh my god! Yeah, right so no, it, it? it wasn't Burnley. It was Brighton. Brighton. Okay. Brighton. It was Brighton. Remember, because the same game, um, Richarlison. <laughs> Knocked it around Shane Duffy, and he's he's like stuck in the mud. Isn't yes, he? And it, I remember that. Yeah, that's the same game, but it's the first goal in that game. It's like a breakaway from a corner. It was a crazy like team move from us, but we broke out so fast. Yeah, yeah. It's Bernard, Gay, Sigurdsson, yeah, Bernard. and Charlison, who who like put it together. Yeah, and uh, there's one other. Uh, I, only because I I didn't think he was going to shoot this at all. The very first goal of the season that our entire of our entire season, Richarlison's goal against Wolves, where I just didn't think he was going to shoot from there, and he somehow manages to put this perfectly placed curving, you know, right in the bottom right corner, and it was perfect. And it was not one of those that was just a a freaking golasso from like from distance or anything, but it was just so perfectly placed, and I I thought okay. When he did that, I was like, okay, well, was that the second goal we scored or the first? First. Yeah, I thought it was our first. But it was just, I I, I thought we're going to be okay this year. No, I'm, I'm wrong. I thought again. it was the it's second. Because he, he gets that scruffy corner goal first, doesn't he? Yeah, mm. that was the one. That's what, Yeah, because I, I, had, I had totally erased that from my memory. And then, <laughs> and then I said it was first, and then I was like, oh, wait, no. No, it was second. Yeah, so because yeah, it was before the red card, right? Um, not was sure, it but it's a little, it like, little, 
little layoff from Tosin, isn't it, yeah. around the corner? But Where we were is, feeling which... really good about Tosin at the time because of his combination play. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, it was nice. We had a lot of goals to choose from this season. I felt like we had a lot more highlights this this season as a as a squad as a whole. Um, when you get more goal scoring opportunities, you're going to. You know the idea. I remember just in past years being really disappointed at, at our lack of goals outside the 18. You know, not a lot of straight highlight goals. It was always like scrappy, like one dude. You know, bounces off of three other people and he just knocks it in. You know what I mean? Just, you know, pinball goals. Uh, right. But we had a lot of choice. But the uh, the Toffee Blues public uh, agrees with all three of us. The Sigurdsson goal is their, is their vote for number one. Um, and apologies for my lack of prep on that one. <laughs> These guys got me thinking and I was like, oh, yeah, I should have thought about this more. So... <laughs> Uh, all right, so next, young player of the season. Let's go back to Max. Calvert-Lewin. Calvert-Lewin. Kind, kind of got to be by principle, haven't it? I think he's the most improved player. Um, but I think I think on the flip side to that coin, because I said, you know, kind of come in for a, a minimal fee, not too much pressure on him until he kind of just dumped in at the deep end. So, you know, yeah, I think you've got to give, you know, Richarlison's obviously going to be in that, with that child, obviously, the uproar. Over is it the the whatever it was thirty million fifty million, uh, but he, he he come in and kind of you know lived up to the height did die down a little bit mm-hmm. after around say you know December ish which we we all did to be fair and it was kind of reminiscent of his of his season with uh, Wofford, but and say, I, I, what did he finish with fourteen goals? Yeah, I think fourteen, fifteen. Was it fourteen? Yeah, thirteen. 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 Mm. I know. I think it was like one or two goals off becoming the the, um, the highest scoring Brazilian in since Firmino or something like that. Which, is, as I said, it was a shame that, that that goal against Burnley got given as an own goal. But oh, yeah. I think he's he's got to be in with a shelf. Terry, young player of the season. Richarlison, um, Carver Lewin's good for you know a good shout as well. But he, you know he's the joint top scorer. He's he spent most of the season as a 21 year old. He's only just turned 22 in the last week of the season, and the amount of pressure on him because of you know his, his media price tag. The, the whole like sports intelligentsia were just desperate for him to fail. They were they were they were salivating at the idea of him flopping at Everton because he you know he gone with Silva. He'd left Watford. 50 million, he'd followed the manager, he did a good start to last season and then fizzled out. They would have given anything for him to have flopped, but he hasn't done it. Uh, you know, he's only 21, so he has had, you know, lulls, he's had bad games, he's had like spells where he's not been hitting the goals. But overall, he's been one of our most important players and, and he gets, you know, kicked up and down everywhere. You know, he's a little, he does play act a bit, I'm not going to deny that. But much like with a lot of players who play act, they get fouled a lot more because, you know, players know that they're not going to get the benefits of the doubt a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's be, he's dealt with a lot this season and, you know, towards the, the end of the season, he's really come into his own in, on that right-hand side and his work rate's gone through the roof compared to, you know, when he was up front or when he was on the left. He, you know, he, he was never a lazy player, but he's working so much harder now than he ever was beforehand. And I think it's probably something to do with the manager having a bit down with him maybe, but... 
I just don't think you can look any further. Twenty-one years old, joint top scorer, fifty million price tag, and you know pundits in the media like before you've even kicked a ball, saying that you've ruined the transfer window, and you know you, you just basically setting you up to fail. And he's he's dealt with it, so it's got to be him. Didn't didn't he tweet a big hug to Paul Mason at the, yeah. after, after the last game of the season? Yeah, I, I, that really, I really, he really interests me in his play. I'm sure I remember reading in an interview he said he used to stick pictures of himself up as posters on his wall. Oh, you know, he just thrives off proving people wrong and wants to be, you know, the best he possibly can. Which, you know, it's, it's not. Uh, I don't think that's a fault by any means. He, you know, wants to push himself. And he's also not somebody who's got this really negative chip on his shoulder. You know what I mean? A lot of people who have that chip and want to prove people wrong, it's a negativity thing. They feel like the world is against them and all that kind of stuff. Charleston's such a positive guy. You know, you see him on social media. He feels It seems like everybody likes him. You know, the Brazilian team seems to love the guy. Uh, I mean, he just seems like a, just a really positive fella. Um, I, and, and there were moments I, I, I was worried when he was falling down every five seconds. Uh, I think somebody had to talk to him. And because he started, he stopped flopping as much. Um, and I thought his play got better when he stopped doing that. Because uh, I thought he, it, it went back to being able to get the fouls you deserve. You know what I mean? Like he was getting in the beginning. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the DCL shout as well in terms of, you know, he, I think he's, he's really one of the only other players you can really mention for this category, though. You know, um, as far as age goes, uh-huh. that are that are getting to play with regularity. Uh, Richarlison's age baffles me. I continually forget that the kid is so young. I cannot yeah. get over that. Um, but yeah, Richarlison is the guy. Toffee Blues fans uh, voted as being young player of the season. So, yeah. Um, and the pigeon dance. That alone, you know what I mean? By itself. <laughs> All right. Player of the season. Going to Terry first this time? Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is another straightforward one. Um, Luca Dean. Come into, the, uh, come into the team. Looks like he's been there a long time. He, you know, he's made that left-back position his own. Creates more chances than any other fullback in the league, I think, and he, he's just great. Everything about he's just been an absolutely outstanding signing. Like less than twenty million pounds paid, he's got an unbelievable pedigree when he arrives. So you know he's played for all these great, great clubs. Can go either way. Sometimes you get players like that who, who you know come to a club outside of European competition, and you know they they you're a bit lazy or like they've got a bit of an attitude problem. He's an Everton player. He, he, he's just every inch an Everton player. He's a hard worker. He's got a little bit of fight in him, a little bit of you know grit. You know he doesn't like shake a tackle. He doesn't like you know like he's not the biggest guy in the world. But he doesn't get bullied. If you know if someone's in a game with him, he gives it back. And I, I just love mm. him. I, I hope he's here for a long time. I think he's been a great acquisition. Um, some of the honourable mentions players who you know could have been in with a shelf player of the season. Uh, Richarlison's one, Sigurdsson's another, you know, the two top scorers, they've had the most um, influence on our results, to, for sure, because of the amounts of uh, goals they've scored, assists they've got. Idrissa Gay, it's been fantastic, he might, I would put my house on him having the most man of the matches for the whole season, especially in the second half of the season, he's just been a machine. 
Um, if we're talking just second half of the season, Kurt Zuma's been great. Uh, but I just don't think you can look past Luca Dean. He's just been outstanding all season. Just stepped into Baines's boots and uh, looks like it's a perfect fit. Not the easiest job either. Stepping in for Baines, who was, no. you know, that's like my favorite Everton player. So it was going to take somebody phenomenal to take, not to not to sit here and quote, you know, Bobby Martinez, but you know what I mean. Uh, it, I I was continually. Uh, I, I continue to be impressed. Even on the final day of the season, I was impressed in, in noticing new things about Luca Dean. Uh, Max, go ahead, you speak, and then I'll then I'll wrap up. <laughs> Luca Dean, just got to be. To be fair, you just hit the nail on the head. I think when you, you you're coming into a, a new club, obviously you've never played in England before, and um, you know by by that means you've never had a, a winter break before. So. To be coming in to to have to fill the boots of such a consistent, established performer as Leighton Baines, who has you know such an affection with the Everton fans, um, you know obviously hit just hit the ground running completely. And for me, one of the key moments was you know last moment of the game, two one down against Watford, free kick in front of the Gladys Street end. And when you're talking about Leighton Baines, obviously one of the, you know I think is he still the highest scoring defender in Premier League history? I don't know if that's been. Taken off him yet, but obviously you know his goals and from free kicks in particular, you know key feature of his game. But one of his one of the things he's never done is score a free kick at Goodison. And when Luca Dean stepped up and put that free kick into the back of the net, I'm thinking, you know what, we're covered yeah. on all bases here. You know we've got what we what we wanted from Baines, and you know juxtapose that with last season when we got Coco Martina, a right back playing at left back, it was just a, a horror show every Saturday afternoon, weren't it? So. We've we've come a very very long way, um, and tribute to Marco Silva, Marcel Brands, and the players that he brought that, that they brought in. Yeah. Uh, so yesterday game match day, uh, I watched him go down the left flank. Jink Tosin is in the middle, in between two defenders. He's sandwiched in between them. Okay, not too tight. There's a little bit of space. But he's the shortest of the three, okay? Luca Dean puts a left-footed cross pinpoint on Jink Tosin's head, all right? Manages to whip it through there onto his head and not and, and just make sure that the center backs didn't get a piece of it. It was perfect. It literally could not have yeah. been more perfect. It was ridiculous. Additionally, another talent of his, besides playing these amazing balls in the middle, have you noticed when players try to beat him onto the line to get a cross off, he has this really remarkable ability to, to usually not knock it across the end line. There's something the way he does with the angle of his foot where he will try to he will find a way to kind of put it back backward at the player or out of bounds mm. off the touchline rather than the end line. And it's just it's just this weird yeah. um, just good technique. It's really good technique and he just doesn't get beat to the inline for a cross often. It just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Just that, I think how he operates the flank in general is just absolutely brilliant and that's been complemented entirely by just how good Bernard's been since he's, you know, broke into and got his run of start, starts. Like, it's a, it's like a Baines and Pienaar-esque relationship in terms of its productivity and just how attractive the football is that comes from this. You know, the flicks, the tricks and the back heels. It's exactly what yeah. you want to see. Um Oh, testament to them. Yeah, Luca Dean, uh, really, I didn't know what I expected. 
I was hoping, but I, I don't know if I expected what we got out of him. I definitely didn't expect the player that can hit those, those, uh, those free kicks outside the box. I did not expect that. I didn't expect his service to be that good, and, and I didn't expect him to be that good defense. I, just, I, I don't know what I expected. He is just way better. You know, he's just a really, really good signing, and he's good with the fans. You know, he's not cocky, Definitely. you know, comes in there appreciative, happy to be here. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what else. I, I do. I do agree. Idrissa Gay should get some love. You know, I, he should get some love. Um, and I, I agree. I think he did get more man of the matches than any other player. Um, and I think if he leaves this summer, which there is a strong chance, um, we're going to have to bring in some very remarkable player or players to replace him. Um, mm-hmm. He's just a different level of dynamo. <laughs> you know, that, that engine in the middle that just keeps churning. Somebody described him as a tiger in the midfield, and I think is a great description because he, he is everywhere, pouncing, and he does not care if a player's two heads taller than him. He will be in their shit. Uh, yeah, I, I show my kids Idrissa Gay to be like, that is how you hustle. That is how you don't stop. That is the guy you watch. You know what I mean? To show them genuine desire. I mean, uh, so yeah, I'll be bummed if Gay leaves, but we're not going to be surprised now. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they made an agreement with him. Stay now and we'll, we'll let you go in the summer, you know, in the winter. So, um, but we all agree Luca Dean is our guy. And uh, Toffee Blues, they voted over 1,500 votes. Uh, Luca Dean uh, is your player of the season. And uh, that's it. We've actually gone longer than I expected. We just got – sorry, we, we, get, we get excited talking about these players. Uh, we are going to do an end-of-season review later in the week, I believe, so we can kind of wax lyrical about these folks uh, in more detail. I think there's a lot – to talk about in terms of the manager, in terms of the uh, director of football, in terms of style, formation, all these things. There's just a lot more discussions to be had about this uh, 2018-2019 Everton season. Okay, now, so Max has, has left the building. Max has left the building. Uh, so it's it's me and Terry now, uh, and we're gonna talk uh, TV shows. Um, the TV format, I think, the long form TV format has really begun to. Uh, I think a lot of really good filmmakers are starting to transition over to TV. Um, David Fincher is starting to get involved in TV. I think Tarantino. Uh, is cutting, uh, I think my, my buddy Kyle has told me that Tarantino is cutting the Hateful Eight into a television program, um, which I think is going to be interesting. Um, but you see a lot of really good filmmakers starting to make their way into TV, and so uh, I think because they see a lot of promise in the, in the form. Uh, Terry, you're, you're a big Game of Thrones guy, um, and they have, I think that's the only way you could adapt Game of Thrones is to be a series. You can't do it. You couldn't do it with film. No, I mean, Game of Thrones is adapted, um, obviously, from a very rich universe, you know, um, book series, isn't it? So the level of detail alone, it, it was really, on the face of it, a little bit too ambitious for TV. 
It's took. I mean, this is recorded uh, after the penultimate episode of the whole series has just been on. We're not going to go into any spoilers or anything like that, but there's one episode left, and I think it's the 70th episode, and there's still a great deal of material that hasn't been touched in the books yet. So, you know, that that for them to make a TV show out of a series of books with so many characters, so many locations, it's just a feat in, in and of itself because... The money that we, you know, is needed to be involved for all these places. This, you know, it's a whole new universe. You know, with with characters who've got like, you know, detailed backstories who aren't even the, not even the important ones. Like some of them are minor characters, and they've got whole, you know, histories and previous, you know, relationships and whatnot. Game of Thrones. It's it's taken some knocks in the last um, in this last season and and the season before. Uh, when it's ironically deviated away from the books because the books are uh, for the correspondent seasons aren't out yet, uh, but still, when it's it just on the face of it, that the sheer scope and size of of the TV series compared to other TV shows is massive. I think when it's over, and you know, people, it's easy to criticise it when it's on, and you know, you're comparing it to its heyday. So a lot of TV shows, you know, do this. Like, well, God, I want to go on in a minute to The Sopranos. The Sopranos did this as well. Uh, they sort of peak around the you know last the third quarter of their overall run, and in the last quarter they're still good, but they you know dips ever so slightly. I think Game of Thrones is doing that, but it's still such a high bar. It's so mm. so well made. It's got so you know the visuals alone, the set pieces, the you know the sheer amount of characters. It's it's I think it's beginning to you know story wise and you know. You know, status-wise, it's almost starting to be seen on par with um, with with movies because movies are now the short-form version of media, whereas they used to be the long-form and TV was the short-form. You'd get half-an-hour episodes. A lot of shows were episodic and you know they may have had a thread running through them, but they were usually, you know, they had one-episode arcs. It was, you know, began and, you know, tied up within the one episode of, of 30 minutes. Occasionally you'd get, like, a special episode with, like, a two-parter, whereas Game of Thrones this season, it's, I mean, it's an hour-long, you know, best part of an hour-long anyway. And the last four episodes of this season have been 80 minutes long each, which is a feature time. Like, there's, there's four movies, a movie every week in, like, a brand-new, you know, not-real location. You know, it's not like they're filming like a police TV show just set in a station or like, you know, something in an office where it's quite easy to make. They're setting it in like a fictional world, which is, you know, it, you're not, uh, you know, it's not even like modern times where you can have like, you know, CGI, um, everything, you know, costume design's got to be on point and everything. It's, it's just a massive, massive beast of a TV show. And I think we'll miss it when it's gone. I think people are criticizing it now because it's, it's, you know, it's failing its own high standards ever so slightly, but when it's when it's not around, it'll be remembered as part, until it's bettered. It'll probably be remembered as the best made TV show ever, if not the best written. But it's still up there for that as well. Yeah, uh, I I have not watched one bit of it. Uh, not because I'm anti Game of Thrones. I'm I'm very much pro Game of Thrones, but I've I've read the books. But I am going to be tearing through the series. Uh, yeah, I, I, I might have to do it by myself because I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to get my wife to watch with me. Because uh, normally we watch pretty much like almost everything, you know, because we sort of like all the same stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I'm going to have to do that one by myself. Uh, but that's one of the things my, my buddies 
told me, and he's really not a TV guy, and he used to, every week, he would come to me, have you started watching Game of Thrones yet? And I'm like, no, I didn't have HBO, still don't. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he was just like, the sheer production value and scope, the spectacle is absurd. It's enormous, which, yeah, yeah that's impressive by itself for TV. You know, that's huge. When TV starts getting the budgets of film, that's a big deal because mm-hmm. um, it's starting to. I hear a lot of filmmakers, they're saying there's more money in TV now, and that's what they're trying to focus on. No kidding. Um, so uh, we are going to focus more on the, the long form here of, of TV rather than the short comedy. I think that's a different show because if that if we did that, it would literally be me and Terry talking Simpsons the whole time. And Max would, if he was here, he'd be doing the same thing. Uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, so Terry, why don't you go ahead and launch into your uh, your off the cuff uh, argument to the poor person who just has no experience with TV? Maybe doesn't. He, he's just like, I don't do TV, and you're like, really? Well, here's why you suck, and you tell them about this show. All right. I touched on it a minute ago. I knew you know you were going to ask me this, and as much as I like Game of Thrones, and there's a lot of other good shows, you can't look any further than The Sopranos. The Sopranos. Um, there's been shows that followed it that did you know some of the things that they did better, but much like the Beatles with music and well rock music especially, um, they will always be first. Whether the the best is immaterial, they will always be first because 1999, a show of that sort of you know vision. And that level, that depth, and that you know quality was unheard of. It was it was the first like the, the term high cinema, you know, for you know for movies that are like you know more art house, you know, got a lot more story. They're not just big blockbusters. That's the first high TV show, I think. The highbrow, high concept TV, where it's not you know on the face of it, and goes well, oh, it's a gangster show about gangsters. Like it's not. It's a psychological, you know, sort of you know, peace on this character, this really complex, really, you know, intricate, really, you know, rich character of Tony Soprano, how interesting and, like, you know, real the world around him was. All these characters had, you know, their own, you know, sort of levels to them as well. And it's just got so much to it, the show. Like, you know, Tony Soprano's in therapy and it, it tackles not only his life as a, you know, a high profile, you know, member of the mafia, but also how he deals with his family life and, you know, his wife and his kids and, you know, how he deals with, you know, depression and how he deals with, um, you know, living up to, you know, how he deals with, how he lives with dealing with his upbringing, like the way his mother raised him. And it's just a level of, you know, of detail that you just wouldn't see in, in, in movies even, like of character detail, you know, gangster films and, you know, mafia films tended to be before this very, very stereotype, you know, driven the, you know, like, oh, you, you, you didn't see what went on behind closed doors of the gangsters. They were just bad guys who, you know, killed people and robbed people and were involved in crime. Whereas this really, you know, in a way humanized them, but in a way showed you how inhuman they all are. You know, they're all, they all love their family. They all, you know, 
they all cry, they all get upset, but they also still kill people and they still, you know, they how they separate that in their own minds and they're all, you know, quasi-religious as well, but despite the fact that some of the worst people in the world and mm-hmm. I just think, it, and the show's got everything. It's funny as well. It's, it's you know, it makes you laugh throughout it and you just, I look back on it now, The Sopranos, and just think, how did that get made before there was others like it? Now you can pitch a show like that, you know, Breaking Bad, you know, shows like that, The Wire. You can pitch shows like that, and there's a track record of them being successful, thanks to The Sopranos, mm. because that was so big, and it just blazed the trail for everything else to, to you know, high, like I've said it, I'll repeat myself, high concept television is now in vogue. It's it's competing with film for the, you know, as you say, directors, for producers, there's, you can tell a more detailed story in TV now than you could in movies, and that never used to be the case before The Sopranos, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about The Sopranos, it's hard not to think about, you mentioned Breaking Bad, uh, and the newer newer version of Breaking Bad, Ozark, which is phenomenal as well. Uh, very similar structure to uh, Breaking Bad, uh, and there's some similarities but the different I think it's more similar to Breaking Bad because it's these people that uh are very intelligent but maybe they they're not they haven't had to be as much professional criminals you know I guess that's the difference is they're kind of thrown into a world that they don't fully understand um Sopranos Tony's uh, Tony's world that he didn't understand was really his own feelings and that that's what he gets thrown into when he starts having like you know panic attacks, you know, um, and it's uh, it really is a, a psychological study. Um, it's a show brave enough to have uh, dream sequences uh, driven by that really don't fully they make loose bits of sense. Um, the problem with a lot of dream sequences in films and stories is they make too much sense. They don't use like dream logic. Because dream logic mm-hmm. is f- very loose, you know. It, it's it's weird. It usually doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't like have like you have to interpret like symbols. It's not like obvious symbolism in dreams. It's different, you know. Um, but I thought that Sopranos did really well with their dream work, uh, in that it didn't. It made sense to a certain extent, but I don't know. It was really well executed. Uh, mm. It's a show that wasn't afraid to be a little literary at times, which I like. Uh, make me think, for God's sake. I'm, I'm down with that. That's great. Uh, characters are brilliant. Um, Polly, <laughs> just love Polly. Uh, big, yeah. big, big puss. Uh, you know, uh, they're just, they're awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, the, and even the, uh, oh, go Christopher Montesanti. <laughs> Adriana. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and the the family just uh, gosh, just it's just a lot of really fine actors in that show. Um, yeah, yeah. There's not a whole lot of like holes you poke in The Sopranos. You yeah. know, well, Edie Falco plays Carmela is also like an absolute giant on screen. Yeah. Like you know, only only really overshadowed in the show by by James Gandolfini as Tony. She's brilliant, um, a brilliant actress in, in the show. Like Sometimes the storylines they give her in the later series are a little bit ropey. Like, they don't really give her much to work yeah. with. But anything she does, where she's, when she, I found that when she 
the story diverges away from Tony. Um, it's not as good, but when she's at loggerheads with Tony, when she's like, you know, when it's, she's very much in Tony's story and she's involved, the acting from the two of them is outstanding. Like the, the way they work together, they're just, it's just a masterclass. Yeah. Um, uh, just, I think it's just an amazing show. Now, yeah, the the dream sequences, are, they are very brave because they don't make sense and there's a lot of symbolism, um, as you say, in it. And it's a lot of stuff that you feel like only the director really gets. And that's quite, you know, it's quite dicey when you start risky. doing stuff like... It's really yeah. risky. You can't talk about The Sopranos, though, without mentioning the ending. What do you think of the ending? I I think if you've been following the show the whole time you sort of know what's going on. That's what I'll say. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think you you know. And I think if you I think you you were you should know that world by now. Is what I would say. Without spoiling anything, the people who are out there listening, I'm sure they have opinions if they've seen it before. So yeah, but at this point, we don't want to spoil anything. But if if I feel like you use your you use your common sense and you move yeah through that yeah yeah I, I was just gonna spoil it because spoil it because it, it finished over about ten years ago because <laughs> I'm still um, I'm still telling this person who's never watched it haven't I that's the whole point that the guy who's never watched it, it it's still new to him but for me yeah you are right it, the show tells you throughout the last season what the ending is it you know if you watch the, the especially the last season it, you know because it's mentioned and and it's explained and then when it happens the ending you know because it's built to that mm. and uh, you know a little confusing when you first see it but when you really take a step back you go oh that makes sense and i think the music at that moment is helping you come to your conclusions as well. So, yeah. So very good choice. And it's really difficult to follow that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, thanks a lot. <laughs> Following Sopranos. <laughs> I, I, because this was sort of a spur of the moment topic, uh, I am going to be, mentioning a show that I feel like you mentioned earlier that Sopranos paved the way for, but isn't the exact same type of show. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say the wire. All right. I'm going to say the wire. Uh, it's not the exact same type of show as the Sopranos because the Sopranos, your protagonists are your, uh, are your, your mafia guys. It's Tony and those guys. They are the, the people who are usually antagonists. They're the ones who are usually going against the action and a lot of, but they are they are your protagonists in in the sopranos in in the wire it's giving you a lot of character from all sides you know what i mean so typically i'm the guy who prefers shows or, or movies that come from one point of view and you gradually learn more about people as you go but this is more like an omniscient point of view you know you're learn you're getting most of the detail from the police perspective uh, but additionally, you're getting a lot of character from these like very intelligent, organized drug dealers in Baltimore. Um, and it's fascinating the world that they plant you in because you're not only get learning about 
the drug trade in Baltimore in like, you know, the the not, the not so great parts of Baltimore. But additionally, you're learning a lot about police work and how to fight and what type of police work is ineffective against the, that type of crime and what type of police work is effective, uh, the politics between it. Um, different seasons focus on different areas. You know, the first season is more like based on the streets. The second season is more about the bigger shipments coming in. Uh, it, it's, it's fascinating. They, they seem to know beforehand what they wanted to cover on every season and kind of cover big chunks every time. Um, it's giving you character about everyone. That's one of the things about The Sopranos you didn't get as much of because a lot of the FBI and cops, you don't really get to know them as well. You know what I mean? Um, and you sort of hate them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're, you, it's the. I love these shows that get you on the side of these of these bad people. You know what I mean? I have no idea why the humanization of of characters like that is is great. I mean, Idris Elba in The Wire plays Stringer Bell, and he's one of the most intelligent people in the entire show. One of the most intelligent characters in the show. All right, and you get to know that character. You know, you're getting to know that character from an angle that I think it's really easy to be like, oh, he's part of a drug dealing group, so, you know, he's got to be an idiot. You know what I mean? He's got to be an awful, you know, but it's, it's more layered than that. It's, it's and, and the cops aren't just like super good because they're cops. They're, some of them are idiots. Uh, your main character, McNulty, who I think is an Irish actor, actually, uh, he uh, he's profoundly flawed at like everything except for uh, except for police work. You know what I mean? Like his personal life is a wreck. It's an absolute wreck. And so, and then you've got some of these some of these guys in the in the, the in the, the drug dealers and everything. You get to know some of them are, are quite smart, and some of them have opportunities to get out. Some of them get sucked back in, and it, it's just a you're getting every layer. And it's fully immersing you in the entire world. Um, that was one of the things I loved about Ozark, is I knew nothing about money laundering before that show. And then I watched that show, and it is as if someone was an expert, and they dunked me into that world. And I was immersed, and I was like, oh my god, I know. I, it was cool as hell. An expert was teaching me about it. And that's what I feel like when I watch The Sopranos, when I watch The Wire, you know, when I watch Breaking Bad. Ozark, these shows, that they, they clearly do their research. And I love that shit. You know, I am able to go into this different world with these different people and somehow connect with these humans that are in these worlds. It is so good. And, uh, and, but, and The Wire has given you a plethora of characters as well. Because Omar. If you've never seen The Wire and you don't know who Omar is, you need to see The Wire and know who Omar is. Okay? He's this actor who has this, he's got this big scar across his face. And oh my God, he's like, he's like a superhuman character in just the, I mean, he's got balls hanging by his knees, this guy. It's ridiculous, the guts on him. All right. It's insane. So yeah, uh, it's just a, it's just a really well-made show and it's not the type of show I would normally enjoy. Um, and I think it would have been. I, I think Terry, you saying the, the the Sopranos is is I think a lot of people that's their answer 
for their favorite long-form dramatic TV show, I think most folks that is their answer because it was early and it was such a transformative moment in television. You know, uh, I mentioned The Wire uh, because I, I feel like that's one of those shows that The Sopranos helped make happen. And they took The Sopranos format and did something weird with it and gave you more angles. Uh, yeah, and one last thing is the, the sheer realism of the actors in that. Okay, there are times where it takes you a while to figure out what the hell they are saying because it's so much slang and the research that they've done and you have to figure it out. It's good and it doesn't treat you like an idiot as a viewer. You know what I mean? A lot of places would like translate it for you, you know, using bullshit exposition and like stupid lampshade characters finding a way to translate it for you. No, the wire is just like, no, good luck to you. <laughs> you know, they just throw you out there. They're like, no life preserver. No, we're not going to let you float. You float on your own or you don't. It's cool. <laughs> it's so good. So anyway, we have, we have gone through The Sopranos and The Wire. It, it'd be easy to go through more, frankly. Um, we watch a lot of stuff, Terry and I. And I'm sure Max is going to be a little bummed he missed, missed out on the opportunity. But honestly, I think he would have talked about The Sopranos in a heartbeat, knowing him, you know? Yeah. So anyway, all right, Terry. Well, let's let's wrap this up. Um, yeah, and if anybody wants to wants to talk TV with us, feel free to send us send us the occasional tweet. We'll we'll handle that no problem. Uh, but uh, I guess it's time to end. Uh, thanks so much for listening to to the Toffee Blues podcast. We really appreciate it. We'd appreciate it if you uh, subscribe to the Toffee Blues podcast, rate it if you can, all that stuff. Uh, please. Uh, you know, if you want to see what we look like, check the uh, Toffee Blues YouTube channel. That would be awesome. Our our visages are there on in video form. Uh, if you uh, if you want more Max, he uh, he shows up all over the place. Uh, so check his Twitter. He'll tell you where he's going to be. But he's often on the Toffee Blues website. Uh, Terry, you can you can find Terry on the Twitter as well with his various gifts of many lands. And he'll, he'll pretty much tell you uh, when he's going to show up on the Liverpool Echo Fan Jury as they're kind enough to have him on there and print his words. Uh, lastly, uh, yeah, the Toffee Blues website. Check that out, all things Everton. Follow the Toffee Blues on Twitter, Instagram, and the Facebooks. Terry, that's it. Um, thanks so much for, for the talk, man. You're welcome, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me back on. Always right. a pleasure. Speak yeah, uh, thanks so much. And Max, uh, I know you're out there living your life, living the dream. But uh, yeah, thanks again for your uh, your wisdom as always today, man. Uh, all right, I guess that's it. We'll uh, we'll wrap this up. Much love to everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye bye.